from the Boomer and the Babe studio at the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's time for Success or Failure with Tom and Terry. Success or Failure is the show that gives you methods and principles to guide you to your best business and your best self. Now here are Tom Legering and Terry Munther. And welcome to Success or Failure, and we're waiting for Tom to come on the line. He should be with us very shortly. I just spoke to him on the uh, on the cell phone, and I know he's on his way. And there he is right now, as a matter of fact. All right. Tom, welcome to your show. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Uh, you're on. You're on live, and you're ready to go. So have a great show, and we'll talk to you later. Very good. Thanks a lot, Pete. Tom, your music is already played, so you are ready to go. Okay, very good. Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome my uh, my guest, uh, Walt Fiddler. Walt, Walt Fiddler. He's a Ph.D. in uh, faith-based counseling, and this morning we're going to be talking about. Normally, we have uh, Terry Munther, Dr. Terry Munther, who's in. Uh, um, Spokane, Washington, right now, helping out a school district there, and uh, I expect him to be on our show next week, next month. Uh, we're on, uh, I, I should introduce myself also, uh, Tom Legring at Sun City Country Club here in Arizona. Uh, we're just getting started with our summer uh, heat wave, I guess you might call it, and uh, things are going along pretty good. But what we're able to do with the book, we're, we're talking to Walt this morning about uh, helping me rewrite uh, or add to make the uh, success or failure, the choice is yours, a workbook for your success. We're looking to make it work for more people. Um, what, what I've always had as my, uh, my passion is helping people that want to improve themselves and move in a in a better direction, and um, I have left aside people that don't know what they want to do and don't have the ambition to move to the next step. And I think from talking to Walt this morning before we came on, um, he's able to, from his experience and from his. Uh, uh, teaching and practice that he does, it's, uh, I think you're working with, with people that really don't have hope and don't have plans to move forward or don't think that they're capable of achieving success in their lives. Is that true, Walter? Right, right. A lot of times it's about their self-esteem or their lack of uh, belief that they can handle things, that they have the ability to do things. Uh, and one of the things I try to do is help them understand uh, that they do have a great deal of ability, but because of perhaps childhood issues, uh, uh, past uh, failures, uh, they've just given up. Uh, one of the things I've seen with people is that they, uh, if you don't have a purpose in life, you just kind of wither away. You, you, don't, you don't live that life. You know, uh, 
I remember working with an individual who was very angry at her husband because he'd sleep till 9 o'clock in the morning. And at that time, she worked for a company here in the Valley did not understand how anybody could sleep till 9 o'clock in the morning. Then she, uh, she retired, and uh, before you knew it, a year later, she was already working or sleeping till 9 in the morning, and uh, I was working with her with th in therapy, and the husband called one day and said, I don't think my wife is going to make tomorrow uh, because uh, she died in her sleep. And a couple weeks before that, we had been talking about how she, she's lost. She doesn't have a focus. She doesn't have a goal anymore. And I think we as human beings need that. Uh, or, like I said, we wither up and just kind of go away. See, this is uh, exactly what, what motivates me. This is what gets me up in the morning. I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm... I, I get m most of my to-do list done by 7.30 or 8, and that gives me the whole day to, to function. But I've, I'm 76, so I've figured out how to, how to make myself happy and how to try to work with the people around me so they can, I can help them get the things they want. In the book, we talk about a person defining success. And then once you know what you want, once you get to a place where you can look out five years and say, I'm here now, but here's where I want to be. And this is what I need in my success picture. And I define how much money it makes takes to get me there. And then I try to get people to say, okay, you don't just keep chasing money. If you have this dream of being in a certain place and you know what kind of house you're going to live in, what kind of picket fence it's going to have around it, what color your car is, what type it is. You get all those things and you monetize it. And if you say that, well, I could live very comfortably for $5,000 a month, then the balance in your life is how do you get a job or be productive enough to produce that kind of income? And it doesn't matter whether what the number is. At one time in my life, I was very financially successful and I was spending fifteen to twenty thousand a month on lifestyle. Mm. That's just blowing money, yeah. and there was no need for it. I mean, it was just I had it, so I spent it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a, other than a plan to make more money. I was on that kind of a thing. Now I'm looking at having balance in my life, so I can get my lifestyle down to where my wife and I are very happy on three thousand a month, and it takes care of itself. Now, my ambitions are a lot more than that. Right. So I can go out and produce more than that, but I only have to produce at the $3,000 level. Mm -hmm. And that gets me going. And then I have six steps to reach your goal, which is straight from Napoleon Hill, how to get your money or how to get anything you want in your life. If you have a written plan and you know where you're going, I can help people get there. But what I want to talk to Walt about, and I want him to talk to you about today, is how do you help the people that don't have any hope and don't want to do things? Like I work at Eve's Place, Victims of Domestic Violence. Right. And the shelter says, when you come here, you're not a victim. I mean, you are a victim, and it's not your fault. 
I have a different view of life, and I say, okay, if that's what the shelter says to you, I'll go with that. Mm -hmm. But if it ever happens to you again, you're not a victim. You allowed that to happen. You knowingly allowed that to happen. If you're being, in today's real world, if you're being put upon by another person and you're being in domestic violence, there are laws to protect you and there are places that you can go to be protected from that predator. But you must cut the predator off. So once you do that, then you're not a victim. And if you set your life up to do that, then I was able to go in, and I've been working there about three years now, and when I first started, about 10% of the people would leave and get jobs out in the public. But you have to understand that in that group, there were people that had PhDs, and there were people that didn't finish fourth grade. Right. So all kinds of economic background, all kinds of educational background, but as a group, only 10% of them were leaving with the hope of doing something different. They were going to go back to their predators. Right. And I'd ask them why. And they'd say, oh, we just want to help people. We just want to help people. Well, I'd take a little mirror and I'd hold it up to them and say, here's the person you get to start with. The person in the mirror. Look in the mirror. That's the one I got to help. The rest of everybody else can only be helped from me, from my largesse, from what I produce more than what I need for me. Right. Then I can help somebody else. Yeah. And that's that's this whole principle. And that's today why I wanted Walt to come in and, and talk to you about how he works with different people so that we can get into a, a discussion. And I'm looking maybe to alter my book so that I can help people move from where they have no hope into thinking and and my my say my statement is you can achieve all you you can achieve all you can conceive. Anything you can think of you can actually have. So if you have the passion and the focus to have it, just saying, Oh, I wish I won the lottery the lottery winners don't win. They five years later they're in a worse financial position than when they started, and all they have is the experience. So, well, I mean, one, you, you were telling some about your experiences and, and then right. working with people in, in today's world. How right. did you do that? Well, I've worked with this. It's interesting you bring up the, the whole domestic violence thing because I have worked with a large number of women who've mm-hmm. been in uh, abusive situations. And one of the things I found is that from childhood on, they were being abused. So that's what they knew. Okay. So what they developed was this, this defensive mechanism around them that would protect them from that. A real sweet guy would come along. And I, I remember one lady that I worked with. She said, I got a date coming. I'm like, oh, okay, tell me about it next week. She comes the following week. And I said, how did your date go? Now, this is a woman who had been abused as a child by her, by her parents, married a guy. He was abusive emotionally, not physically. Got rid of him, married the next guy. He was physically abusive. You see a pattern going with them. And she comes in the following week, and she says, I said, how did the date go? Uh, it was okay. 
I'm like, just okay. Yeah, it was kind of boring. I'm like, what do you mean boring? Well, he opened the car door for me. He, <laughs> opened, he opened the door to the restaurant. He pulled the seat out. And I said, excuse me, that's normal. But see, to her, that's not a normal wife. So what you've got to do is get in there and help them alter their thinking, alter the protective mechanisms that they have created that only work in abusive situations. I had a lady, uh, I asked her, I said, I said uh, what's her husband, one of the husbands, beat her while his father and brother stood there cheering him on. And we talked and talked and talked. And I finally said, you know, I said, is it possible that somewhere in you, you're attracting those kind of guys? I said, because this isn't the first situation you've been in. And she said, are you telling me that this is what I'm looking for? I said, you know, maybe not consciously. No, she is. But look at the pattern. And this was a girl who had been sexually abused by her father for a long time. And the father was given three months in jail. So in her psyche, what does that tell her about her value and her worth? But that's buried so deep inside her that she's not even aware that she feels very, very useless. I worked in the factory while I was going to school back east. There were guys in the factory whose parents were abusive. Brilliant, brilliant. I could have bet you they would have been brain surgeons or whatever, but they didn't see it. What they saw is what mom and dad said you were. Yeah. And they would go to lunch. That's defining. Yeah. Yes. They would go to lunch and run outside to the car and drink four or five beers to tolerate the rest of the night, standing in this smoky factory, putting a piece of of metal in, taking a piece out, putting a piece off like a robot. Yeah. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Don't these guys see? Uh, how how smart they are, what they have to offer. No, they didn't. You have to help them see that. And through different kinds of work with people, you can do that. It takes time. It's, it won't happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a month, two months, three months. But as you move along, they start all of a sudden recognizing things about themselves that they were never permitted to recognize before. I've had people tell me, I've worked with them for a year. They come in, the next session is like, oh, my God, do you remember when? I say, yeah. I was driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden, these light bulbs started going off all over the place about me, about who I am, what I really am all about. And I know about that person because I came from a really, really abusive background. I was convinced that I was stupid. I would never amount to anything. On and on and on. I got 143 IQ. I was on the honor roll when I graduated with my bachelor's degree. I got my master's. I've got my Ph.D. in clinical psychology. I went out and got ordained as a minister also. I've got 30 years' experience working with people. Yet if I would have believed what my father said and wanted to do to me, I'd be working in some factory right now or sitting there on a retirement pension from a factory. Yeah. And that's not who I am. See, and that's... That's the thing that really drives me. I mean, I've I've been able to take care of myself and my family and give my job as a parent was to give my kids opportunities. I I have two daughters, and I raised them to know that they have to be able to support their husband. 
because when they were born compared to now, the life has changed, and that's very acceptable now. But when I was teaching them that, that wasn't really the way things were. Today, men don't mind being the house husband no. and taking care of the kids, no. and they they don't have the same ambition. But I think that that says a lot about our country, too, and yeah. the way uh, the government tells us we're consumers and not producers. And, right. and it's the same thing as a parent being abusive to you. Mm-hmm. It's the government being abusive to its people right. where it says, oh, you can't amount to anything. Let me feed half of you. Yeah, yeah. Half of you can be on food stamps right. because you'll never amount to anything. Right. That's what you're good for. And that just appalls me. I am I am so disgusted with somebody telling me I'm a consumer. I'm right. a producer. I'm right. never going to be a consumer. Yeah. And so this is how do you get the people turned around because we have a malaise. And I think every generation thinks the one that's coming behind them is um, not as productive as they probably were. Right. But... To my point, and why I think it's different, is I heard the story about a gentleman in his a senior was given a seminar to a group of uh, college students, and he was talking about in his life there's six or seven generations. I mean, there's the WW2s and there's uh, the uh, the baby boomers, and then you have the generation X and Y, and now you have millennials. Mm -hmm. And so you have all these different generations. Why? Is there more? Because we're living longer. Right. There's, you and I would be, Walt is is older, I'm 76. I mean, we would have been on our deathbed if we would have been born, you know, 100 years before. We would have been gone. Yeah, we would have been gone. So the whole idea is that Yes, we're living longer, and we're looking at stuff, but this this gentleman was giving a, a talk to these college students and talking about these all these generations as he's seeing them, and he's looking from his point, point of view at how each one of these generations were, were uh, producing for themselves. Like the baby boomers has been typically the most educated, the wealthiest, um, they're going to pass fourteen or fifteen trillion dollars onto their heirs and devisees. Sure. Uh, so they were a highly productive, highly educated group. Well, this one college student got up and said, "Well, sir, the reason that you don't understand us is because we were brought up with iPhones, smartphones, credit cards." Uh, different computers, uh, different apps that we can now communicate with each other with instant texting. We put, we saw a man go on the moon. We saw computers that used to fill a room now be something that I can carry in my pocket. Right. And we were given all these things. And that's why you can't understand us. And the speaker said, I, I recognize what you're saying, and you're absolutely true in what you're saying. Everything you said works completely. When I was born and when I was growing up, I didn't have 
a smartphone. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have, and he went down the whole list of all the things he didn't have. But he says, but my generation that didn't have all those things, we went out and invented them. Right. <laughs> and we yeah. passed them on to your generation. Yeah. Yeah. And what are you doing to pass on something of benefit right. to the generation coming behind you? Right. Well, as and I told you, that's I have, what motivates me. I have a real passion for our veterans. Okay. Right. And I used to teach college up until just last year. And it was amazing to see these young students believe that things just kind of fell out of the air into their laps. And I tried to tell them, it's like, look, go down to the VA and talk to these guys who are missing legs and arms and everything. They're the ones who opened these doors for you. Because if they weren't doing what they were doing, you wouldn't have what you have now. You wouldn't be where you are right now. And some of them would say, oh, I never thought of it that way. And some of them would say, oh, you're just an old man. What do you know? Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and that's unfortunate that, that we treat each other that way. Look, at the end of the day, which is a favorite saying my minister has, when you take everything away, you could lose everything. What do you got left? Us, people, relationships. That's what you've got. And that's what's significant because that's what everything else is built on, your ability to have a good, stable relationship with others, with friends, with family, with coworkers. And and that's my goal, as well as helping homeless veterans. I want to do something with homeless veterans, you know. Uh, uh, They're very important to me. I've seen them, uh, my God, uh, living on the streets like bums, Mm -hmm. and nobody cares. A lot of people just don't care. Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. I, I went uh, was teaching at at the Madison Street uh, uh, shelter for for veterans, and they were down down in downtown Phoenix. Right. And they had some rooms at the uh, YWCA, and so we would go there, and about fifteen or twenty of the people were in the in the room, and we'd go through six. Uh, I worked with Dr. Terry Munther, and he put a program together so that we could teach a six-week class, which just happened to be the six chapters in my book. And so we go and talk, and this one gentleman would sit there in the whole class, never say anything, sit and stare at us with his arms folded like, you can't get to me. You can't get to me. And so he wouldn't say anything, and then about the fifth, class, I asked him, I said, not to, not to be picking on you, but you sit in the class and you're not participating. Have, have you thought about what we're talking about? Have you thought about being able to be in charge of the life that you want and thinking of the life that you want? He says, I know exactly what I want. And I said, well, what's that? He says, I want to be with horses. I want to train horses. I want to make sure horses are well taken care of. Mm. And I said, that's it? That's what you want in your life? He said, if I could just have a job working with horses, I would be completely happy. I had him come after the class. We went and I got on the phone. I put him in touch with three people. I made calls. I had him call. He had a bus ticket that afternoon, had his stuff, and went out to a horse ranch which was basically a line shack, and he has 200 horses that he's taken care of. 
I never got a, a, a call back or a letter back from him, but I know he's happy because he didn't like to be around humans because he was a combat person that oh. was a tunnel rat in Vietnam. And there's a whole different thing in his makeup. So he had to, he could go with horses. And there's people that are doing, in Surprise, Arizona, there's a group that worked with veterans and they bring them out to the horses so yeah. that there's something therapeutic about a horse. I, I talked with that guy yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's just uh, one of the things that I'm watching and I see things that where people are able to do these different things mm -hmm. and it works out real well for them. Right. And, you know, but this the whole thing, that story to me is no matter what your your position is, if I can get you to think about what you want and understand that you right. deserve it. Right. You don't deserve it because you exist. You deserve it because of what you do. And you can't do anything if you don't get a plan. Right. And what I try to teach people is to write, and in my book I, I tell people the, the, four, the six steps to reach all your goals, how to get started, and then think of yourself as a business. And people... They think of themselves as going and getting a job and getting a gold watch. But nowadays, the young millennials, they don't think that way. Mm -hmm. they, they know they got this big load of debt on them, and they have no way of dumping that off, so they're not going to buy a house. They're not going to form family relationships right. like it's been in the past. So you have to get into their minds and, and think like they think. But... In order for them to make that next step, in order for them to become a productive human being, it isn't just all games and video games and, and flipping with your thumbs. Some way you have to, that's, that's okay for a diversion, but that's not okay for a life. And if you say to yourself, I have to be productive, the first thing I have to produce is enough so I can have food, clothing, and shelter. I do not want to be a dependent of my a ward of my government. Right, right. I want to be able to do things that I can produce, and then I can help other people. Right. First, I got to help me. Well, and and, and you know the the issue is you got to believe you can help you. That, you know, that's the hard part that that you have to deal with exactly, where, where exactly. you're at. Yeah. yeah, they've got to. They, like I said, the guys that I work with in the factory. Oh my gosh, it, it, it was incredible. And, and the funny thing is, I had this college kids working with me, and I was going to college at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, these guys are grubby and wearing dirty clothes and stuff, and they're working, and he's giving them a hard time. Like, he's a king, and they're the servants. And I finally said, hey, let me tell you something. I said, you see that guy over there? I'll bet you he's got 160 to 180 IQ. I said, and he could be whatever he wants to be. He just doesn't know it because he's never been taught that. He's never been showed that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and it's, and human beings are very complex, you know, and, and we were made that way. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, we, have, we have layer after layer after layer upon the real problem. And what has to happen is you have to remove those layers help that person remove those layers so they can see what the real problem is, then they can go to work. Right. A lot of people think working with someone like me 
is a scary process because, oh, they're going to criticize me, they're going to this. No, no, that's what your parents did, that's what maybe your friends did. The, the things that we do, I, I refer to it as a journey that starts out at, with one step. And we go through this journey of you really, really discovering who you are, not what other people have told you all your life you are. Or what you're supposed to expect right. because the right. government or your parents or your community says this is what you can do and this is what you can be. And if that's, we're not in communism. We're not where right. they line up six people and say, you're going to be the engineer, you're going to be right. the fireman, you're right. going to be this or you're going to be that. You're going to be here if you, if you want, and the choice is yours. It's success or failure. Right. And it's there, this is the only country that I know of. I've traveled a lot. I, I'm a motorcyclist, and I've traveled in a lot of countries. I've been to China, and I've been all over the, the Far East. And you see the different people, like Koreans. You can look at Koreans. There's North Koreans, mm -hmm. and there's South Koreans. They're both Koreans. Right. Well, why is one very successful and prosperous, and the other can't make enough food to eat. Right, right. So I, 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 people are, I've always told people, I said, I don't understand the world the way it is. Every human being is born typically with two eyes, a nose, uh, two legs, two arms. We all function bodily the same way, and yet we destroy each other. That does not make any sense to me. I mean, and, and, and again, my father and his abusive ways, where, where he would drag me out of, out of the upper bunk at 1 a.m. in the morning and start beating on me because he didn't like my report card, uh, that destroyed the first part of my life because I didn't know any better. Yeah, I, that was just your life, Yeah, right? I was a piece That's of garbage. My dad said I was a piece of garbage, and hey, this is a man that loves me, right? Exactly. And if he says I'm a piece of garbage, well, that's what I must be. Right. And and he treated me that way. And thank God for the Marine Corps. Yeah. Because I was an angry, angry, angry teenager and could have gotten into a lot of trouble if I hadn't right. gone in the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, I'm a stubborn guy anyway. The Marine Corps increased that stubbornness and yet gave me a good direction to utilize that stubbornness and that discipline that I learned. Right? Mm -hmm. Thank God for the Marine Corps. Well, see, you, what you're talking about is exactly what we're trying to help other people do. And a lot of times people ask me, well, Tom, why, why do you help other people? What is this thing? I'd say it's a natural thing that people want to do. The only difference is I'm not helping people for the sole purpose of, you know, a, the psychic benefit or you know, I'm, I benefit by helping other people. I'm in the golf business right sure. now. And the reason I'm in the golf business now is because I spent 50 years in real estate. And that was, as a property manager, I managed 5,000 houses for people. Yeah. And that means the landlord thought I was spending too much money. And the tenant didn't like me because I wouldn't spend any money. Yeah. And when I finally made the property turn around and it was producing financially, the owner would sell it and uh, give me a 30-day notice and say to all of his friends how smart he was because he bought this piece of property and look at what it did. Well, that didn't bother me because I was making my living doing that. And, and that, that 
I was helping people, but I'm helping myself. Right. And that's the point I want to get across. I'm not, I'm not in, I consider myself in the business of my book. I mean, I didn't write it as a business, and it wasn't for that. It was for my kids. I have three kids, and my wife has one from a previous marriage. We're both widow and widower. And the the kids, I had I had my three, and I basically told them they're in charge of their happiness. You are in charge of your happiness. If you're not happy, look in the mirror. Right. That's the person that makes you happy. And once you figure out that once you can make you happy, then you can deal with the people around you. But if you can't elevate yourself to the place where you're important to you, then there's no hope for you. You're just going to continue to do what you do. And the point is, they talk about in America the top 1%. They're the ones that have all the money. Well, it's usually the top 5 or 10% of the people that get any real benefit out of life. Right. So that's 90% of the people. And that's what your odds are. Your odds are 1 in 10 of getting anything you want and being able to be, and how do you balance financial with that? And that's mm-hmm. what my book tries to do is say, you don't need to just keep making money and money and money. What you need to do is figure out what makes you happy. Like my wife and I, were when we were living in California, I mean, we were spending money. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. There was plenty. It wasn't like we were living over our heads. I couldn't spend it fast as that. And I don't like things. I don't like accumulation of a bunch of junk. Right. And so I asked her one day, I said, are you happy? I'm sitting in a 4,500 square foot house on top of a hill looking over the entire L.A. basin in Manhattan wow. Beach. So we were well off. And I said, are you happy? She said, no. I said, well, why not? She said, I don't like my snooty neighbors. I mean, because no matter what you did, somebody had to buy something better, and then yeah. you had to buy something better than them. And she said, I'm tired of all that stuff. I want to be with real people. I want to be with people that just look at me as who I am, and they'll accept me or reject me. That's fine. Right. But I don't want to have a whole bunch of people around who want to do different things that I don't want to do. Right. And well, so, And I hope this doesn't offend anybody, and if it does, I'm sorry, but... One of the things I do know is that God put me on this earth to work with hurting people because of what I've gone through. I can relate to the the brilliance out there, the potential that people have that they don't even know. Yeah. You know, you can help them because of what I've gone through uh, to to pull that out of them. Because a lot of people who, who uh, don't know they have that are afraid to take that first step. They're afraid, oh, no, I'm going to fail. I can't do that. That's not true. You can. You can if you believe in yourself because you can really do it. And believing in yourself doesn't mean you get all arrogant and snooty with people. Right. It simply means that you identify who you are and what would make you happy in life. And I, and I don't mean becoming a millionaire or whatever like that. That's not you can do that. Unless but, that's what you want. Right. If and, you want and, to work that hard, that's totally yeah, okay. Exactly, exactly. But what you identify what you want, and then what you have to do 
to get there. Mm-hmm. And don't and, 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 and understand that some people out there who, because of what they've gone through, have been taught to sabotage themselves and sabotage themselves, and just as they're ready to grab the golden ring, they fall off the horse because inside they're still hearing Dad's voice saying, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're not ever going to deserve anything. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Exactly. And we all deserve it. And see, that's where I, I, in my second chapter of my book, I I go into uh, different things for for people to think about um, with with trying to figure out what what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. The the whole idea is um, when when you're thinking about your life. First of all, you have to write it. You have to write down what you want. You have you, there's a psychological thing. I don't have your education, but I know that when I write something down. Mm-hmm. It goes in my subconscious. Yeah. Then my subconscious works on it. It's like I don't have to think about breathing because my subconscious is handling that. Right. So when I'm out working, I've written a plan of what I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I have these six different places that I, I in my book on page seven. The first thing you start out is personal. Who am I? What do I truly need to be successful? And understanding success is reaching a goal. Happiness is wanting the results of those goals. So do you want to be successful and not happy, or do you want to be successful and happy? And that's the whole point. How do you know that if you don't have a written plan? Right. What is it for me? It, me has to be the first equation. You can't say, oh, well, I'm just a doormat and I'm here to help all the people in the world and it's okay if they just tread on me and I get okay. nothing. No, that is not where it's at. That's not what humbleness is. That isn't. Humbleness is just not being arrogant about the fact that you can produce. Right. And being a producer is what it is. So who are you? What are you trying to do? And what visualize, I try to get people to visualize a five-year program. Where, where do I want to be? And they say, well, yeah, I can see what I want. And I know I want these cars and I want this stuff. The point I try to make to people is fail early and fail often. Sure. The idea is it's, that's what the book is, success or failure. Failure, my biggest failure, I've been wiped out. I've had... Up, got up to $5 million and had the lawyers take every cent. So it took me a year to feel sorry for myself, mm-hmm. and it took me two years to get it all back. Mm-hmm. I figured if I could make it the first time, well, I know all the people. They know me. I'm still a good person. Sure. So they know what happened, and I'll just go and put it all back together. And it was no problem. Two years later, I'm right back where I was because I wrote it out, and I knew that it was okay for me to do that. Yeah. It was okay to fail. It was not okay to be a failure. Right. There's that whole big right. difference in that. So then, because a failure is a failure every yeah. time, on yeah. and on and on. You and just you look at yourself as a failure. That's what happens. Yeah. And and it's what that's why I like talking with you, is that you actually can get to the people that are in that recycling. I'm a failure, and it's okay just to reach up and grab. Oh, it's taken away from me. But that's okay because I'm nothing anyway. But you, you, you bring to mind someone that I worked with oh, 15 years ago. Uh, 
when uh, when I have uh, a caseload like that, I take one week's vacation every year, only one week. And uh, I decided I was going to take a week, and I always try. As soon as I have the plan, I tell everybody. Okay, so if even if it's a six months down the road, so they can prepare because mm -hmm. unconsciously they're struggling with the issue that all of a sudden I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Uh, this individual continued to try and sabotage every time. What if I, what if I have an argument with my mother? I'm only going to be gone one session. Well, what if the, are you flying? Yes. Don't get killed. What if the plane crashes? All that stuff. Right? So uh, she went on vacation one time. Now, I had referred her to a physician, knew nothing about, you know, I know the kind of service he provided, didn't know what the fees were or anything. Uh, she writes me this letter. She and then in the letter she's very angry at me. She tells me that this guy she feels like he's ripping her off, but and, and he wasn't, uh, and that I was part of it, and that she was, uh, 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 oh, that I somehow I was being abusive to her. So she comes in for her next session after she comes back from vacation. I had the letter sitting there. So what I typically do is I go out to the waiting room, I get my patient, bring them in, we sit down, and I wait for them to start talking. It's their session, not mine. And she started talking. And uh, now this woman had an issue with anger. She could not display anger because of her family, that was totally unacceptable. So she starts talking, I said, hold it. And I raised the letter. I said... We need to talk about this. Are you angry at me? I said, I didn't like being accused of a few things that aren't true, and you know they're not true. We had a bit of a heated discussion for about 25 minutes. Good. And I said to her, I said, okay, I want you to get up and go out in the hallway. Are you throwing me out of therapy? I said, get up, go out in the hallway. Oh, my God, you're getting rid of me. No, go out, get up and go out in the hallway. So she did. She stood there. I said, okay. Tell me what you see. Well, the parking lot. I see all the cars there. Tell me what you hear. Well, I hear people talking in the waiting room. I hear cars going by. I said, all right, come back in, sit down. I said, did you realize that we had a bit of a heated discussion for about 25, maybe 30 minutes, and the world is still here? You were angry at me. Thing that didn't end. Yeah, the world, world didn't, didn't end. end. I didn't die of a heart attack or anything else. That was such an amazing thing to her. Yeah. Uh, it opened so many doors for this woman. Uh, she just like, oh my God. And she had no problem being angry with me after that. I mean, when she wanted just to let be, it out. To yeah. let it out. But that was so healing for her. And yeah. she needed to overcome that obstacle to get to the goal. Right. And so many people are afraid to do that yeah. because I get I got angry when I was a kid and I got beat. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And they grow up with that, and yet they got that stuff in their bubble and yeah. their boiling. And what people don't realize about anger is it's going to have its way. Yeah. If you don't express it, you can get ulcers. You can get all kinds of things from it. Make yourself diseased. That's the same thing about so many emotional issues. If you do not treat other people with love and kindness and recognize that everybody has a special gift and help them develop that gift to the fullest potential, 
uh, we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. I, I mean, see, and that's, that's the, the difference between us uh, is your, your ministry works down to the lowest common denominator up, and right. I'm very selective in who I want to help. Sure. So sure. I basically, and that's why I want to work with you, because as you get people to understand that it's okay for them to be successful, then they could come to the book and be able to right. see how to, where do I, okay, it's okay for me to be successful. I'm over my parents. I'm over all my people that have held me back. I'm over myself holding me back. Right, right. Now I'm ready to have my dream, and then they could go into a stage like this. Right. And that's, uh, like I say, I mean, and I think there's different levels where people have to operate right. on, and that's kind of where I am at. Like, I'm a SCORE certified SCORE mentor, and I go down every month to uh, help people with their business plans. And I get a lot of people come in, and they think, oh, well, I'll start a business, and uh, then I won't have to work so hard. And I said, well, I'm 76. I work 70, 70 to 80 hours a week. I do 30 on my businesses, and I do about 40 hours yeah. in volunteer work. Yeah. Now, if you're not happy doing that, then you you have to figure out something different with your right. life. Right. And what you need to know is who you are and what you want to mm -hmm. do. So once you get to that stage, once maybe you move people to a certain stage, then we can get them, because my next step is uh, financial, finding out where they're at uh, in, in their assets and liabilities. Mm -hmm. I have a balance sheet in here where people can actually say, what do you want, here's where I'm at now, here's where I want to be, now I can make a plan. It's like, oh, I'd like to visit New York, or I'm going to go to New York City. Um, okay, since I'm going to, am I going to walk? No, that's too far. I think it's too far. I might have to get a map. Yeah. I might have to go talk to a travel agent. You know, that's all part of a plan. Right. And that's how I want people to think about their lives. I, there's how many ways are there to get to my goal? I can get a job and I can save my money. And most people that are not financially successful miss one of the, the ideas about this financial thing. It's easy to make money. That's We're in America. Right. That's all this country does is print that stuff. Right. They print it and print it and print it. Yeah. There's plenty of it around. That's why the rich keep getting richer. They're just getting more dollars. Right. So the poor, they're just getting more handouts, so they're happy. They're right. not happy, but they're content with, oh, it's okay. I've got this crummy life, but I'm eating. Now I'm 40, 50, 60, 70 pounds overweight because my government is so wonderful to me. Yeah. They want me to die before I'm 65 so they don't have to pay off. That's what well, they're trying and, and to do. Again, yeah. It depends on what you believe about yourself. Yeah, and you what you don't believe worth. you have the skills and the worth to do it, uh, man, having the government take care of you is great. But yeah. then what they do is they take it and that, that the, the real skill you have, the intelligence you have, the worth you have, they just push it down deeper and deeper inside of you to where you're not in touch with it. And, and you don't feel your worth. Why should I go get a job for 
ten dollars an hour or five or seven dollars an hour uh, when I'm collecting close to twenty five or thirty thousand a year from the government. Right. I get my food. Right. I get my. Uh, I can go down and get get uh, college education. Oh, that's wonderful. They made the college education. So, just tell me how does how does having a car and having an apartment and having clothes and 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 assist you with your education? Right. Like when I went to school, I had a family. I had three kids and my wife and a house and a business. So I went to school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I would be at school from before 7 in the morning to 9 or 10 at night. That way I had to be there. So guess what? I was bored, so I'd do my homework. Guess what? My grades went up. What a concept. But I didn't have to do anything else, but I had four days left in the week. So I had Saturday and Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday. I worked real estate. So I had that. I didn't have a student loan. I did have a GI Bill, but they cut it off in the middle of my senior year, which really ticked me off. But that's that's me not reading the the instructions. But that that whole financial thing is understanding that you can change what you want. But not if you just say I want to change. You have to have a plan. And well, then, if there are some folks out there who have a spiritual belief that being poor is godly. Oh, I've heard. Uh, I'd that, rather be uh, poor and honest. Yeah. Well, let's see. I think that if you're poor because you think that's honest, you're cheating yourself. So honesty is not cheating yourself. Right. Well, and again, if, if for those of you that I might offend talking about God or the Bible. I've read the Bible through 11 times. I see nowhere in there where, where God has ever said that to be spiritual and to be one of his, you have to be poor. Nope. He didn't nowhere in that. there at all. Yeah. Yeah. He says he, get, he, you've been put on this earth to have an abundant life. That and means that's, we're producers. Right. That's what he said we are. We produce things. We raise the level of of ourselves so we can raise the level of the people around us. So my third thing is family. And you you don't get to choose who your family is. Right. But like I say, my motto is I don't have to like my family, but I do have to love them. Right. So I can have disagreements with my brother, and he's older, and he thinks that from a German background, the older one gets to tell the younger one everything. Well, I'm now 76, and I'm really not going to put up with any stuff like that. Right. So he gets to do what he wants. I love him. I just sometimes don't have to like him. Right. And that's how I work around that one. Then our physical thing is our fourth one, and that's really what is your present physical condition? What would you do to improve your health? And condition, and I know we talked. You you lost considerable amount of weight, and now you're taking organic food, and you're very much looking at your physical being. Uh, I know that when the uh, Social Security was put in, they had the government looked and said the average lifespan was 64 and a half years old. So they said 
you get to retire when you're 65. Naturally. <laughs> well, that's why they've spent all the money in Social Security yeah. because they didn't expect guys like you and me right. to stay around. And I plan to live to be 200, so I keep collecting. <laughs> you know, so that's just, you know, I'm a producer. Yeah. If yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything I can for my body so it stays in good shape. So that means getting on a program where you don't, where you eat as many calories as you expend, so that you're able to function, so right. your brain works, so your body works, so you have good health. If you're 40 and 50 pounds overweight, don't tell me that your feet hurt. Right. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. Right. I'm not. I don't have the patience that you may have. Right. Lose the weight. Okay. And, and see, coming from my perspective, uh, I'll tell you about this lady. She was sexually abused by her brother, her father, and her grandfather. And uh, the the uh, she, one of the things she did was she ate, and she told me she did it on purpose because then nobody could reach like the her. real her. Yeah. She was 600 pounds wow. when I started working with her. I had to go out and get a special chair with no yeah. arms. We worked together for six years, and wow. then she did remarkable work. Then she went and got on a weight loss program, and uh, it, it was incredible, the turnaround for her. But when you have that many people that supposedly love you, yeah. are treating you like garbage. That's what you think love is, is because that's the, the treatment you're getting from yeah, the exactly. ones you expect yeah. love from. You have no idea that you are supposed to succeed. You have yeah. no idea that you're a worthy person. You have no idea that you have goals and, and you have special gifts that were given to you. Uh, all you know is i got to hide, i got to hide, i got to protect myself, i got to hide. Yeah. And what you have to, this person has to learn is, no, you don't. Right. No, those folks were the ones that fall. Yeah. Not you. You were a little bitty kid. Yeah. Uh, you can come out of that shell. And she started to. She started losing weight. She did all kinds of things. See, and that, that's what I really admire from where you're at. I mean, I, I'm able, like, when I go to Eve's place, I mean, they went from 10% to 78% getting jobs. That's because... I told them ten two-letter words, which are not mine, ten two-letter words to live by. If it is to be, it is up to me. And then I taught them the eleventh two-letter word, which is mine, is no. When the predator shows up and offers you to take care of you for the rest of your life and solve all your problems, you just say no. And you say Thank you, Mr. Predator or Mrs. Predator, because I deal with, with men in the shelter, too. Sure. And so I just say, it's no, and you move on, and you find, when you find that you have taken care of your person, your finances, your family, and your physical, then you can start feeling good enough. You've taken care of yourself and your surroundings, mm-hmm. and you're happy with it, and it fits in your plan, your written plan. Then you can look at your community. How do you benefit your community? How do you improve your contribution to your community? And the last thing is I look at uh, spiritual. Uh, are you at peace with your higher power? And I say that the Bible is uh, God's written 
policy manual for the right. human being. Right. Right. So you know, it's funny you talk about predators. I've worked with a significant number of predators, and most of them had have never seen where it was their fault. Yeah. Uh, oh no, that's yeah. their job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a predator goes out and kills an animal. That's his job. Right. So a man marries a wife, and she she accidentally burns a dinner, and he beats her. Yeah. The excuse is, well, she burned a dinner. Yeah. Really? So. Yeah. so and what? and that's the that's the result. You beat her up and give her a black eye, and and a lot of time the victim, okay, doesn't realize that because they come from a background where mm -hmm. they've been victimized since a child. That's yeah. their role in life. Yeah. It's okay that they beat me. Yeah. I talked. To, I have had a lady on on the show. Um, we got about two. Uh, I've had a lady on the show where she was a victim for about twenty years, mm -hmm. and she finally started coming out of it. She got a copy of my book that a friend gave her, and uh, since she's figured out her place, her worth, and has a written plan. She's now uh, uh, got a very responsible job, uh, has very high feelings for herself. There was a time she was on the radio show. She had a hard time being in the in this room with a man. Yeah. So I had to open the door and, and let her sit way over so she could right. look out and see yeah. myself. Yeah, I've had a few clients like that. We've you know, had to leave the door open. Yeah, and, and that, that was fine. I said, you sit way over there and you look out. There's another female. And you, are you comfortable? She said, yes. And then after a while, it was okay. To, yeah. And yeah. she would get up and shut the door if there was noise in the other office. I mean, and that's, that's the only reason we do that. But anyway, uh, Walt, I want to thank you very much for coming in. I mean, I think, I think we've covered a lot of ground here that mm -hmm. might, hopefully will, it'll lead to us being more productive too right. so that we can help ourselves. Right. That's first getting ourselves where we want to be financially, and then maybe looking at rewriting the, the book, because I have, I have distilled this. It's, it's really 29 pages of, of material that, quite frankly, I could have covered in 450 pages. Right. But I'm just saying it in non-technical, non-academic criteria where people can look at it and say, yeah, I fit in that. You know, I, I can make that work. Sure. So anyway, I think uh, that's, that's it for today's show. Um, I want to uh, thank Dr. Walt Fiedler. Fiddler. Fiddler. Dr. Walt Fiddler. Uh, this is Tom Legring, and this is the Tom and Terry Show, and we're signing off now. I know that uh, my... Uh, host uh, Pete Peters at Blog Talk Radio is off to a medical thing, so I hope the uh, music comes on and we sign off properly. Okay, thank you very much and have a great month. We'll talk to you the last Wednesday of every month. We're on the show and you can call in and ask questions and I think we covered a lot of ground that might help a lot of people. Thank you very much. <laughs>